Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tim Cunningham Contemporary Jazz Radio Show. And now for your host, Tim Cunningham. Hello, everybody. This is your host, saxophonist Tim Cunningham, here for another edition of the Jazz Chat on the CRS Radio Network. Glad to be here for another week of good contemporary and smooth jazz. We're going to kick it off with my new single from the Freedom CD. This is entitled Enough Said, and this is the remix.
by yours truly out there right now on radio stations across the country. That is the brand new single. It just hit the top 100 last week and hoping that it climbs all the way to the top. Here's another one called Into the Night, and you're listening to the CRS Radio Network. We are the Knowledge Station.
That was Into the Night here on the CRS Radio Network. Here's one called Just Groovin'. Thank you. 
entitled Freedom, That's Freedom. And before that, you heard It's My Time by my fraternity brother, Mr. Willie Bradley. And just before that, you heard Personal Best from pianist Darren Stewart. We're going to go in a little bit of a different direction this week with the uh, saxophone or artist feature. Um, As um, I mentioned several weeks ago, we're going to try to feature uh, talk about either a uh, saxophone player or and and or a uh, guitar player, just another musician that you may or might not know or you may not know of their music, and um, just trying to uh, familiarize you with uh, some other folks. Um, I know some of the younger, younger folks are aware of more of the contemporary style jazz artists. Um, However, I'd like to go back and feature and talk about one of the greatest saxophone players in the history of jazz, and his name is Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker was born and raised in Kansas City. Um, Sadly, Charlie uh, had a very... um, sad life in terms of uh, drugs and alcohol. So, And there was a movie done uh, about his life that Forrest Whitaker, uh, I'm sorry, Forrest Whitaker played, uh, played Charlie in the movie. Um, and just without reading anything about him, I, I actually read the book. And if you know me, I don't read a whole lot of books, um, but I wanted to know more about what happened in his life because this man died when he was 34 years old. He was born in 1920 and died in 1955 before his 35th birthday. Um, uh, and he was born on Michael Jackson's birthday on August 29th. Well, I should say Michael Jackson was born on his birthday. The phenomenal player. I believe when he turned 14, he was, uh, pretty much an, a virtuoso, and that means that you really can't learn any more about the instrument that you're playing. Uh, he was he was that good. Um, he, uh, like I said, was raised, was born and raised in Kansas City. He ended up out in New York, of course, playing with in some of the nicer, uh, and I shouldn't say nicer, in some of the uh, jazz clubs out there. And um, just uh, doing a little bit of research about musicians back then, of course, we're still dealing with incredible amount of racism, uh, even in the northern states. I mean, Charlie and uh, many other musicians had to deal with, you know, going through the back door um, at the Cotton Club, 
um, that kind of thing. It was just, and, you know, going out on, on the Chitlin circuit uh, situations down in the, in the Southern States playing, playing gigs and, you know, and that, that's stuff continued. Like even through when Ray Charles was back in the fifties and sixties playing the Chitlin circuit, they had to go down there. And of course, you know, drinks were uh, usually on the house and, these guys weren't making a whole lot of money, so they were playing three, four, five nights a week just to make a living. And uh, when you're in that environment in a club, you're going to have a drink. Most of those guys were going to have a drink. Um, and he, you know, ended up pretty much drinking a lot and then got involved in the heavy drugs. Uh, he was involved with heroin. And... Uh, to the point where he would sell his instrument to uh, would hock it to get the money for the drugs, and he would have a gig, and guys would have to come up with some money to go find him an instrument and that kind of stuff. It was just really sad. And uh, one day he took a he had a bag or something, and uh, he took it into a pawn shop, and they thought it was a saxophone or something from him to hock. And they gave him the money, and they opened the bag after he left. It was a pair of shoes. Sadly, his mind—he was—he was—he was, he was, he was uh, misguided, and just uh, his mind was just taken away by all the drugs and the substance abuse that he uh, that he did. Um, I remember a part of the book that said he flew to somewhere like Sweden or somewhere like that where drugs were legal. And when he got off the plane, he actually went to some, some guy, some guy who owned a drugstore, took him to his facility, his, uh, his business. And they stood around or sat around and got high for like 14 hours straight. So, um, and eventually the drugs, you know, caught up with him and, um, like I said, he died in 1955 at 34 years old. He had a perforated liver and something else. I can't remember what the other um, cause of death was. Uh, when the coroner found him, they said he looked like a 50 or 60-year-old man. Uh, so he had... Uh, his, his his addiction to heroin had really played a of him uh, dying, uh, along with all of the alcohol that he used to consume. Um, um, and you know, one thing I didn't really know he had he had some he did have some mental health problems, uh, which was really sad. And Dizzy talked about. Dizzy Gillespie um, talked about some of that stuff, and because uh, him and Dizzy were really the creators of the bebop uh, style of music, uh, and just phenomenal that they were able to come up with that style. Um, it's very, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of guys play stuff and try to play like them. But bebop is not just, you know, it's not just like playing a bunch of notes. 
that don't fit. You know, all the stuff that they were playing, they played a lot of chromatic, chromatic style stuff, which chromatically is the word chromatic. You're going up the scale uh, every step of the way. Every half step is like you know, a chromatic scale is every note of the scale. So C, C sharp, D, D sharp, so, so on and so forth. But they they were able to come up with a way to play this way, but make it sound um, unlike a lot of the avant-garde style of jazz that you may have heard. Um, the bebop, more of the bebop stuff was, to me in my opinion anyway, it, it actually made sense. Um, and it was a, just astounding that these guys were able to create this style of music. I remember reading something about Charlie Parker going into a woodshed and practicing for hours on end. Like he would just, for whatever, you know, whatever reason, he practiced like 10, 11 hours a day for at, a, at a certain point in his life. And he, he um, found some old scales or something from a foreign country. I can't remember where they were from, but um, he uh, was practicing these skills. And I believe that's how him and, and Dizzy ended up creating the, uh, the bebop style of music. Um, if you go out on the, on the, on the, the Internet and check out or go on the YouTube and, and check him out. Um, you'll see that is there's a lot of information about him. Um, you'll see some, some videos. Fortunately there's some good videos of him playing. Um, and down towards the end of his career the playing started to it started to suffer due to his health problems. Um, but he was just just a great phenomenal player, and it was just really so sad to see that uh, the drugs and the alcohol um, took him away. Uh, his life was pretty much just like Billie Holiday. Um, and I assume that a lot of the musicians back then, especially a lot of the African-American musicians back then, were were somewhat depressed and uh, about the fact that they couldn't play the big places, they couldn't play Radio City Music Hall, they couldn't play um, the big venues because of the color of their skin. Whereas Benny Goodman um, uh, and some of the other big-time white uh, um, musicians and their orchestras, um, Glenn Miller, some of those guys were able to play uh, Carnegie Hall and those types of places and make good money. Uh, and these guys were, you know, they were great players. To, uh, sadly, the color of their skin, even in the northern states at that time, you know, we're talking uh, 30s, mainly in the 40s, I think, for Parker because he was born in 1920. So late, late 20s, I guess. I guess, not, well, I would say Probably because he was would have been 20 years old in, in 1940. 
but I think that's just about it. And he started playing early. I mean, he was, like I said, he was a, a virtuoso when he was like 14 years old. So he started playing really, really early. So probably late 30s when he really got started playing in the clubs and um, um, trying to remember there was a guy, saxophone player that he, and he was a, oddly, he was a tenor player. And Charlie played pretty much nothing but alto saxophone. I never, I never saw Charlie pick up a, um, I never saw Charlie pick up a, a tenor sax or anything else other than an alto. It was also uh, always a uh, alto saxophone. Um, and it says in 1939, Parker moved to New York City, which, you know, at that point, he was 19 um, to, you know, to pursue his career. He held several other jobs, uh, worked for $9 a week as a dishwasher at Jimmy's Chicken Shack, where pianist Art Tatum performed. And it was in 1939 in New York that Parker had his musical breakthrough that had begun in 1937 in the Missouri Ozarks. Um, playing through the changes on the song Cherokee, Parker discovered a new musical vocabulary and sound that shifted the course of music history. And this is where the bebop style came in. In 1940, he returned to Kansas City to perform with Jay McShann and to attend the funeral of his father, Charles Sr., he played Fairyland Park in the summer with McShann's band at 75th and Prospect for an all-white audience. The upside of the summer was his introdu- introduction to Dizzy Gillespie by Step Buddy Anderson near 19th and Vine in the summer of 1940. In 42, Parker left McShann's band and played for one year with Earl Hines, whose band included Dizzy Gillespie, who later played with Parker as a duo. This period is virtually undocumented due to the strike of 1942 to 1943 by the American Federation of Musicians, during which time few professional recordings were made. Parker joined a group of young musicians and played in after-hours clubs in Harlem, such as Clark Monroe's Uptown House. Uh, These young iconoclasts included Gillespie's pianist, Theolonis Monk, and guitarist Charlie Christian and drummer Kenny Clark. According to Mary Lou Williams, the group was formed in order to challenge the practice of downtown musicians coming uptown and stealing the music. She recalled Monk and some of the cleverest of the young musicians used to complain, we'll never get credit for what we're doing. Um, They had a reason to say it. In the music business, the, the going is tough for original talent. Everybody's being exploited through and most anybody can become a great name if he can afford enough of it. In the end, the public believes what it reads, so it is often difficult for the real talent to break through. Anyway, Monk said, we're going to get a band, big band started. We're going to create something they can't steal because they can't play it. And that's when the bebop situation came came in. Um uh, one night, Charlie was playing in, in '39. Charlie was playing Cherokee in a practice session with the guitarist uh, William Sleep. When he hit upon a method of developing his solos, and it enabled one of his main musical innovators, 
you know, innovation. You, 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 yeah. you realize that the 12 semitones of the chromatic scale, as I mentioned, this is a chromatic style of, of playing, very chromatic. You realize that the 12 semitones of the chromatic scale can lead melodically to any key, breaking some of the confines of simpler jazz soloing. You recall I was jamming in a chill house on 7th Avenue between 139th and 140th. It was December 1939. Now I had been getting bored with the stereotype changes that were being used all the time at the time, and I kept thinking there's bound to be something else. I could hear it sometimes, but I couldn't play it. Well, that night I was working over Cherokee, and as I did, I found that by using the higher intervals of a chord, as a melody line and backing them with appropriately related changes, I could play the thing I had been hearing. I had been hearing. I came alive. So that is kind of what um, where the start of the bebop uh, idiom came. Uh, it was totally created by Charlie and uh, and Dizzy Gillespie, um, and there are still playing that style of music today. Very difficult to learn, um, and it's a you know it's just a style that uh, you don't hear very much anymore. But it is definitely something that um, uh, uh, is unique, extremely unique, and uh, it was just so amazing to see that someone could could come up with something. Re- come up with something like that. Um, so, again, Charlie Parker, 1920 to 1955, a great, great musician. Sadly, life was uh, uh, very difficult for him outside of his, I mean, his, his personal life was just, it was, it was just really bad. Um I'll read this and I'll finish up. He died on March 12, 1955, in the suite of his friend and patron, Baroness Panamica. It's hard to pronounce the last name. Tonics Water at the Stanhope Hotel in New York City while watching the Dorsey Brothers stage show on television. The official cause of death were lobar pneumonia and a bleeding ulcer. But Parker also had an advanced case of cirrhosis and had suffered a heart attack. The coroner who performed his autopsy mistakenly estimated Parker's 34-year-old body to be between 50 and 60 years old. Since 1950, Parker had been living in New York with his common-law wife, Chan Berg, the mother of the son, Baird, who died 2014, and his daughter, Free, who died when she was only three years old. Three years old. He considered Chan his wife, although he never married her, nor did he divorce his previous wife, Doris, whom he had married in 1948. His marital status completed the settling of Parker's estate and would ultimately serve to frustrate his wish to be quietly interred in New York City. Uh, Dizzy Gillespie paid for his uh, funeral arrangements and organized a line in state, a Harlem procession officiated by Congressman and Reverend Adam Clayton Powell Jr., as well as a memorial concert. Parker's body was flown back to Missouri in accordance with his mother's wishes. Berg 
criticized George and Parker's family for giving him a Christian funeral, even though they knew he was confirmed atheist. Now, that is something I did not know. I had no idea. Parker was buried at Lincoln Cemetery in Missouri in a hamlet known as Blue Summit, located close to I-435 and East Truman Road. Parker's estate is managed by Jampool Artist Management. Some amount of controversy continued after Parker's burial in, Kansas, in the Kansas City area. His tomb was engraved with the image of a tenor saxophone, though Parker, this is, and this is something that I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read this before this. So I had no idea. So as, as I mentioned, I never saw him play a tenor saxophone. So Parker is primarily primarily associated with out with the alto saxophone. Later, some people wanted to move Parker's remains to reinforce redevelopment of the historic 18th and Vine era. Area, excuse me. So that's a little bit about Charlie Parker, um, and we'll touch on other musicians. Uh, as the weeks go by, uh, I am here every Tuesday on from I'm sorry from six to eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that's three to five on the West Coast, and four to six p.m. where uh, I'm sorry five to seven where I sit here in the state of Missouri. We're going to move on with the music. How about now or never? Thank you. 
You are listening to CRS Radio, the knowledge station with Tim Cunningham on the Jazz Chat.
song called A Change in Altitude. You're listening to the CRS Radio Network. We are the Knowledge Station. This is the Jazz Chat with saxophonist Tim Cunningham. I'm here every Tuesday from 6 to 8 p.m. on the East Coast, 3 to 5 on the West Coast, and 5 to 7 where I sit here in Missouri. Before that, you heard a song called South Beach, and before that, a song entitled Mood Swing, and then prior to that, my uh, <clears throat> a song from my uh, album, Manchester Road. That was the title track, Manchester Road. Um, we're going to get stay, stay true to the music here. Um, I want to play something... Uh, uh, this tune, this this is this tune goes back to when I grew up um, in Lansing, Michigan. I entitled, I should say, I entitled the tune after a park that I kind of grew up playing in um, back in Lansing, Michigan. It was a park that uh, a lot of us played at um, um, in the neighborhood. It wasn't that close, super super close to me, but. We got up there. We used to ice skate during the winter time, and uh, just a really cool park. It was called Saint Joe Park, and this is due to Tim Cunningham on the CRS Radio Network. We are the Knowledge Station.
entitled Surrendered Soul from the uh, Reflection CD. This is Tim Cunningham, and you are listening to the Jazz Chat with saxophonist Tim Cunningham on the CRS Radio Network. I'd like to update you once again about where I'll be performing. Uh, the next show is not until July 28th. We are in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, at, uh, at the In Full Bloom Watercolors event, uh, it's at a park that's somewhat uh, difficult to pronounce. It's called Ah Nab Awin. I'll spell it for you. It is Ah like Ah A H Nab N A B Awin or Awin A W E N Park, which is located at 220 Front Avenue Northwest in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This is a free – admission is free. However, there are some tickets up. There are going to be some chairs in front of the stage, and I believe those tickets are $30 each. Um, and, again, you can go, go to the, my website and find the information. Uh, that's July Friday, July 28th uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Moving over to August, we are going to be – in Carmel, Indiana, which is just north of Indianapolis, the suburb of Indianapolis, at the Carmel Jazz Festival. This is the first uh, uh, annual festival they're going to have there. Uh, tickets available at carmeljazzfest.org. Uh, I'll be there on Friday night at 9 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 11 a.m., uh, the main act for that festival is Spiral Gyra. Uh, and there's going to be a ton of other uh, stages and, I guess, music going on uh, during the during the weekend. So, uh, again, CarmelJazzFest.org for tickets. That's Friday, August 11th and 12th. Uh, then moving on to the 12th, I'll be moving, driving back down to St. Louis for another show. In St. Charles, Missouri, that's hot summer night. It's right in downtown St. Charles. You can't miss it. Uh, uh, there's an opening act at 7, and then we are on at 8 p.m. Uh, August 17th, the following Thursday, we'll be in Bridgeton, Missouri, which is right by the St. Louis, Missouri airport. Um, that is at Gentry Park, which is right next to the Bridgeton Recreation Center. Uh, showtime is 7 p.m. between 7 and 9. We'll take a break around 8 o'clock and come back and do about 45 minutes at 8.15. Last year we had like 1,500 people in the park. So um, get ready for that one. Hopefully we'll have some nice weather and uh, enjoy the show. It's one of the probably the best park in St. Louis to see a show because it's totally shaded. There's trees everywhere, so you don't have to worry about uh, the sun. And the stage comes down. It's, a, it's, a, it's on a hill, so the stage comes down to the bottom, and everybody can see over each other. It's it's the best it's the best park uh, that I that I have seen in St. Louis for seeing a concert uh, comfortably, I should say, because outdoors in the summertime obviously can be very, very, very hot in St. Louis. Uh, so, again, that's August the 17th. That's a Thursday evening. August the 19th, that Saturday, we'll be in Kirkwood, 
Showtime is to be announced on that one. Uh, September 22nd, we will be in Lansing, Michigan, at the Mikey 23 Foundation event. Um, That's at the Cadillac Room, which is located at 1115 South Washington Avenue in Lansing, Michigan. You can call 517-253-0200 for tickets. Again, that's 517-253-0200 for tickets. Um, uh, And then October 20th, we will be in uh, Kirkwood again, Kirkwood Performing Arts Center, for an event with the Meacham Park Neighborhood Improvement Association. We put that uh, concert on last, they put that concert on last year with myself, and they plan on doing it annually. So this is the second annual Jazz at the Center with uh, the Meacham Park Neighborhood Improvement Association. Uh, The venue seats 500. We sold for the first year 400 seats, which was a huge success. Um, tickets are available on MetroTix for that event. So go to MetroTix.com and search for Tim Cunningham or search Meacham Park, which is M-E-A-C-H-A-M, Meacham Park Neighborhood Improvement Association. Um, again, at the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center, which is at 210 East Monroe in Kirkwood, Missouri. It's a brand-new venue. It was built in 2020 during covid it is like a uh, very small uh, of sorts. It is just a beautiful venue. You will really enjoy it. They got a uh, upstairs and downstairs. There's a bar upstairs and downstairs. Um, it's just a very, very beautiful place. And uh, hope you'll get a chance to come to the show. I believe tickets are thirty dollars this year for the show. Um, in November, I'll be having my day after Thanksgiving show, which will probably be at LaBelle Coeur in St. Charles, Missouri. Um, we'll have ticket information coming up probably around, um, I'll say August or so. That'll give us like three months basically to, to push it out. We might even start pushing it in July. Um, and then December 9th, I'm going to be in Dallas. Texas, performing for Omega Sci-Fi, Ada Mew Mew Chapter. Um, They have a scholarship event every year that they put on. Uh, Last year's event was in Louisville. The um, Garden, something Garden Inn, I can't remember, top of my head, I just can't remember. Um, But uh, you can can Google the Omega Sci-Fi, Ada Mew Mew Chapter, of Omega Sci-Fi and uh, their scholarship event and find it. Uh, I believe tickets are $75, if I'm not mistaken. Um,
also have a website. Um, I'm checking it out right now. Um, so it's uh, hmm9d.org. That's H, the letter H, like Harry, M-M, like Mary, Mary, or Ada, me, view, 9d.org, hmm9d.org. Um, so check that out. That's a very, and it was, that event was sold out last year. It was completely sold out last year. So, um Give a chance to uh, check it out. Um, website again is timcunningham.com. Um, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to keep, uh, keep going with the music. We're playing, we've only got a little bit of time left. We've got about uh, six or seven minutes left, so I'm going to try to get at least one more song in here before I go. Again, we're here on Tuesdays from 6 to 8 p.m., Eastern Standard Time, uh, 3 to 5 on the West Coast, and 5 to 7 here where I sit in Missouri. This is Tim Cunningham. Saxophone is Tim Cunningham on the Caribbean Radio Network. We are the Knowledge Station.
that's going to wrap it up for the Jazz Chat with Dr. Thomas Tim Cunningham here on the TRS Radio Network. We will see you next week right here on the TRS Radio Network. We are the Knowledge Station.